All right, my friends, let's, uh, let's open our Bibles together in the book of Romans again. Let's go Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. We'll be in big number 13, little number 11. Um, don't forget, if you need a Bible, take that blue one with you. If you know someone who needs a Bible, take that blue one with you. Uh, we, would love, we love when those things are gone. We absolutely love it. Um, okay. Romans chapter 12, or sorry, chapter 13, verse 11. We're only going to do uh, 11 to 14 today. little snippet, but a, a, a very important uh, passage. Very important passage. Um, okay, what we've been doing in Romans, as you well know, is we have viewed the mercies of God through chapter 1 to chapter 11, Paul lays out the mercies of God. Lays out what we just sung together. It's a fa- that last song, fab- first time we sung it together. It is a fabulous song. It is dripping with gospel truth. And so everything that we just sung about, Paul explains chapter 1 to chapter 11. And then he turns in chapter 12 and says, in view of these mercies, you should live your life as a living sacrifice. We should joyfully say, God, here's my life. Here it is. We should offer it up to God and say, in view of your mercies, there's no other proper response. Thank you for everything you've done for me. Whatever is mine, I want to give to you. That is offering our bodies as living sacrifice. Chapter 12, twists there, as you know, and he finishes the book talking about being a living sacrifice. And the, living, the, the, the mercies of God that we have shared so far have been the mercies of God in the past for us. The mercies of God that we've seen so far, that Paul says should motivate us to sacrificial living, has been what Jesus did for us in the past, or perhaps what we feel in the present. But there are mercies of God that should motivate us for sacrificial living, that are in the future. And that's what Paul is going to tell us today. In view of God's future mercies for us, live our lives as a living sacrifice. Let's read this together. Big number 13, little number 11. It goes like this. And these first two words, there's a lot packed into these first two words. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Okay. Okay. Besides this, that frames these, last, these next few verses. Besides this. What is he talking about? Besides this. What is this? Besides this, well, this 
is everything that we've talked about. This is everything that we've talked about in chapter 12 and chapter 13. Besides this, besides letting the mercies of God motivate us to humbly connect to a church family, 12, 3 through 8, with genuine love in our heart for our church, the world, and even our enemies, 12, 9 through 21. Besides this, have a submissive, not rebellious spirit toward the government and all authority, 13, 1 through 7. Besides this, owing a love debt to all people at all times that we pay off in every area of life, 13, 8 through 10. Besides this, this, and besides this, besides these sacrifices and these motivations, here are more sacrifices and a new motivation based on the mercies of God. And these mercies that should propel us to sacrificial living, these mercies that we're going to talk about today are for believers in the future. And these mercies are found when Jesus comes back for us. We often forget that, don't we? I must confess, I often don't let the second coming of Jesus compel me, propel me to sacrificial living. I, I might think about the cross, and that might be my, motiv my motivation, that Jesus loved me so much. That's a good motivation. We've talked about, we've had many, many verses about that motivation. That's a good motivation to sacrificial living. Jesus sacrificed for me, I want to sacrifice for Him. That's a good one, but... We often forget, or we often don't think about, He's coming back. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? Well, here's the big idea from Paul. Besides this, wake up and live as sacrifices because Jesus is coming back. Wake up and live as sacrifices in view of Jesus' imminent return. So, why should we? Why should we wake up and offer our bodies as a living sacrifice in view of Jesus' second coming? Well, Paul says, Jesus' second coming is scheduled and is imminent. He says, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up. Now the word time, we kind of use we kind of have used time in, in lots of different ways, don't we? What time is it? It could be a random time. I don't, I don't care. Just tell me what time it is. That's one way we use it. Sometimes we can say it like this: This is a difficult time in the life of our country. That's not precise. That's a it's a long period of time. And then we have the use that Paul uses, that parents, you know this all too well. When we look at Paul in the Greek here, he means this. It's time for school. Get up out of bed. That's a different thing, isn't it? Especially when your mom is saying it, standing over your bed with her finger in your face, right? Get out of bed. That's a di it's time to get up. That's a different sense of the word time. It's time now. 
Get up. Get moving. It's time. Wake up. The time of Jesus' return is scheduled. It is in stone. This is a critical time. This is a time that should shape how we live our life because it is scheduled. It is coming. It is not... Jesus is not coming at 3.30-ish. We'll get started. Jesus is coming is not... Yeah, he'll, he'll make his way over here when he, when he feels up for it. Jesus is coming is not... Maybe next Wednesday or the, the Thursday after the next Thursday. Maybe, maybe we'll, we'll get this thing done. No. We must wake up. We must live as sacrifices because Jesus is coming and that event is happening. It is scheduled. We can't put it off. We can't pray that it doesn't happen. I'm not ready yet. It's coming. And it has been scheduled since the foundation of the world. So live our lives accordingly. So when... It is scheduled. It's coming, preacher. When is it going to happen? Isn't that kind of the most popular thing to talk about? Especially right now, right? When? Is, this, is, is, is the pandemic, is that, is that evidence that Jesus is coming? Is He coming tomorrow? Is He coming next week? Is He coming in 3,000 years? Do we know? We don't know. We don't know. It's scheduled. We know it's scheduled. We also know that we have no idea when it's coming. We don't know the exact time, but we do know a little bit about it. This is what Jesus tells us. Jesus fills us in. Matthew 24, 14, he says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, it's, it's really tempting and it's, it's, it's important to think about these things. And it's really tempting to kind of do the math and say pandemic plus, plus riot plus, plus riots plus equals and try to, try to do that. But, but we don't know that. What we do know is the end is coming. Jesus will come when the gospel is proclaimed to all the world. What are the details of that exactly? I don't know. We don't know exactly what that means. However... We know that this means when every saint is saved. Revelation 13.8 says, talking about the beast, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. Why is that important to talk about? Christian, this is how secure you are in Christ. You ready for this? There's a book in heaven that has your name on it. And your name was not written when you received Christ as Lord and Savior. That book has been finished since before the world was created. Isn't that amazing? God knew you were coming. He made it happen. 
Your name is in the book before the world was made. So, when is Jesus coming back? When the, when the proclamation of the Gospel goes out to every nation. Meaning, when every man and woman's name who's been written in the Lamb's book of life is saved, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And so, knowing those two things, I think there's too much speculation about Jesus' return that focuses on things like, is the President the Antichrist? Or, what does the pandemic mean for this? There's too much speculation about those things without, without the focus being on the most important thing, proclaiming the good news to all the world. The second coming is about evangelism and missions and outreach and gospel presentation. All those things must be more important to us than the details of the symbolism in Revelation. We get this backwards. This is one of, my, this is one of the Christians' most favorite things to talk about and look about. And it's important to go through Revelation, talk about the symbols, and try to think about what they mean. That's important. It's important to study that. But if we study those things with a fervor, with separated from a desire for evangelism, we don't understand the second coming of Christ. If we get so worked up on the details and we forget evangelism, what are we doing? These things are written so that we will wake up. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Meaning, proclaim the Gospel to the world. That's what Revelation should make us want to do. Proclaim the Gospel to the world. And now a little bit of sobriety here. When every name that's written in the Lamb's book of life is saved, Jesus is coming. When the, and that will happen when the proclamation of the Gospel goes out to all the nations so that every tongue, every tribe, every nation will be represented in heaven before the throne of God. We'll be praising with our brothers and sisters from everywhere in the world. When those things happen, Jesus is coming. And, if that's a, and that is a good thing for us. That is what we need to be looking forward to. That needs to propel us to wake up. That should give us joy. But also, we need to understand the tremendous work that needs to be done. The Joshua Project is a Christian endeavor to understand people groups and their connection to the Gospel. People groups are the largest group in which the Gospel can be proclaimed and can travel within a group of people. In other words, a people group is a group of people without cultural, language, or geographic barriers. That's a people group. Now, let's talk about unreached people groups. These are groups that within that language, within that culture, within that geography, these are groups that have zero access to the Gospel. Zero Gospel-believing churches in these groups. How are people going to be saved without churches? These are people groups. The whole population of Christians in that peop this people group 
would not fill this building up. So these are groups without access to the Gospel. These unreached people groups make up 43% of the world. There are 7,397 of these unreached people groups. So we can imagine why, in view of Christ's second coming, we can imagine why Paul writes about Jesus' second coming and says, Wake up, church! Wake up! If we are second coming people, we need to be evangelism, missions, and outreach people. Those things go hand in hand. The time is now, and it's critical, so wake up. The time, Jesus' return is imminent. Is imminent. What do we mean when we say that? Imminent doesn't mean it's happening tomorrow or the week from Thursday or in a month. That's not what it means. Maybe he's coming back. Maybe that's how it works. Perhaps we can't, we don't need to put a time on it. We don't need to try to figure this out. When we do that, we make a fool of ourselves in the gospel. We don't need to do that. Jesus' return is imminent in that it is the next great redemption landmark. What do I mean by that? It is the last great redemption landmark. What do we mean by that? It's the last thing in God's plan for the world. There's nothing between this day and that day that's left to happen in the redemption plan of God. That's the next. That's the last. In Genesis, way back there, there was a lot of redemption history to unfold. There was the fall. That was part of redemption history. It's a bad part. There was the promise that somebody was coming to to kill Satan, to stomp on his head, to destroy sin. There was that promise in redemption history. There was the promise to Abraham that a family of faith would come from him and outnumber the stars in the sky. There was God's people in slavery and God's deliverance through a lesser Messiah, a lesser Jesus, Moses. And this time established things of the the shadows of Jesus, like the Passover lamb, the temple, the bronze snake on the pole, the stone that gave water, the bread from heaven, all these things in redemption history points us to Jesus. There was the giving of the Ten Commandments, primarily of which will show us our need for a Savior. There's God's people going to the promised land, showing us that we are going to a promised, better promised land in heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. There's God's people's rebellion and adulterous nature towards their God. The cycle of rebellion and judgment, crying out to God, deliverance, and then rebellion again. There's this cycle that we can't break on our own, so we need to be redeemed. We need a Savior. There's the promise of the law being written on our hearts and the promise that the Spirit of God will be within us. And then Jesus is born in the path of redemption history. Jesus the Messiah is born. Jesus the Messiah comes with signs and wonders. Jesus the Messiah fulfills all prophecies written about Him. Jesus the Messiah dies on the cross for for sinners. Jesus the Messiah raises from the dead. God has established the church in the world. Jesus ascends back to heaven. And what's next? There's nothing left but for Him to come back. That's what we mean by Christ. His return is imminent. 
There's nothing else to wait for. We don't have the Ten Commandments and we say, well, that's coming. Messiah's coming. That'll be who knows when He's coming and we'll just wait for Him. There's not time for that. It's He's imminent. It's the next thing God is going to do in redemption history. It's the last thing God's going to do in redemption history. Isn't that exciting? It, it is imminent. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, the time is now. Wake up. How can the time be now 2,000 years ago and the time be now, now in 2020? How can that be true? Well, we are living in the imminent return of Christ. It's coming. The time is now. There's nothing else but to wait. Aren't we blessed to be in this time? Isn't that a great thing? So that critical moment the last thing in redemption history, that, that critical moment is to shape our lives. That's the, the mercies of God. It's coming. And we're in the imminent return. The Christ returning is imminent. It's the next big thing. And we're waiting for that. And so we must shape our lives around that mercy. So Paul says, wake up. It's coming. Don't let Jesus keep, catch you sleep snoozing in bed. Get up. So why should we? Why should we wake up and offer our bodies as living sacrifice in view of Jesus' coming? Because the time has come. And then he says, for salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Verse 11. So wake up, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice in view of Jesus' second coming that will bring our salvation to fulfillment. Be motivated that He's coming to bring us the fullness of our salvation Our salvation is an already not yet salvation. That's where we live right now. Already not yet. The things that Jesus has brought us is already and not yet. Already, Christian, this is what you enjoy already. This is the mercies of God for you that we experience to the full now. Christian, you have a fixed relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 5.18 All this is from God who through Christ has reconciled us to Himself. That's now. Your relationship with God, Christian, through Jesus Christ is fixed. You're not His enemy any longer. Already, we have the forgiveness of sin and the redemption through His blood, Ephesians 1.7. Already, He has made it possible to have peace and be unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ, Ephesians 2.14. His body broke the dividing wall between us. How important is church unity? That's already... That's offered to us already. We already have justification. Teaching my girls this word. Justification is declared righteousness. It is before the throne of God. You are guilty of your sins. But you are declared perfectly righteous by your faith in Jesus Christ. You're righteous. You're perfect. That's what God does for you. You are justified. Through Jesus' work. And that good news, that has already happened to you. Sanctification is part of our already salvation. This is a gradual growing righteousness. Ezekiel 36, He will give us a new heart and He will put a new spirit within you. You are growing in righteousness, Christian. That is happening now. Already not yet salvation. Already you are adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. Ephesians 1.5 He predestined us 
for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Isn't that good news? You're not just a friend. You're not just a business associate. He's not just letting you in by some loophole before the foundation of the world. Your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. And He says, you are my son or daughter. Isn't that amazing? We have that now already. Christian, you have already in your salvation a guarantee of eternal life. 2 Corinthians 1.22 And who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I had a conversation last night about this. How scary would it be to believe that you could lose your salvation at any moment? Terrifying. Terrifying. John MacArthur says if you could lose your salvation, you would. And I would. That's not how it works. Our salvation already is this. I have given you my Spirit and He is your guarantee that all these promises, all these mercies are going to happen. That's your guarantee. He sealed you. Isn't that good news? Those are all ready. Here's the not yet. Your salvation is nearer, Paul says. Wake up and live like your salvation is near. The fulfillment of your salvation is near because Jesus is imminent. What's our not yet salvation? Not yet. There will be no more death. Isaiah 25, He will swallow up death forever. Or not yet, God the Father will lavish us with every good thing. Ephesians 2, 6-8, He has seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show us the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Are we seated with Him in the heavenly places yet? Not yet. Not yet, but we will be. Already, not yet. Not yet, we will have a resurrection body. Isn't that great? We sang about that, right? Raised Christ up. We will be raised up like Him with a resurrection body to never to get sick. You're never going to have to wear masks in heaven. Isn't that good news? If I can get an amen, now's the time, right? Never have to worry about that stuff again. Resurrection body is the not yet. Not yet. All our former struggles in this life will be wiped out. Suffering, tears, sin, broken relationships, all of that will be gone. Be gone. And then here's one that we're going to get into a little bit more. Our not yet salvation. Jesus saves us from the just and good wrath of God against sinners. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So, understanding our salvation that we have already, and our salvation that we have not yet, wake up and live your life as if it's imminent. Living your life in view of these mercies that are coming should change how you live. We should offer our bodies as living sacrifice, knowing all these things are going to happen. Knowing that suffering will be gone forever for the next, what, maybe i got 50 more years. For the next 50 years, if I know that in eternity and I see the mercies of God that I'm never going to suffer again, I'm going to be more willing to suffer for the good news of Jesus Christ. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You're not going to do that if you don't 
bask in the mercies of God that are coming through Jesus. You're not going to do that if you don't understand the fulfillment of our salvation is still yet to come and what that means. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Wake up and live that way. Speaking of the wrath of God that we'll be delivered from, why should we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice in view of the second coming of Jesus? Verse 12, he says this, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. The night is far gone. It, we don't, we don't, don't read it like this. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Read it like this. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. What is this day? Wake up, Paul says, and offer your bodies as a living sacrifice in view of Jesus' second coming that will usher in the terrible day of the Lord. We don't talk about this very often. The day of the Lord, the day, is an expression in the Bible signifying the time in which God interferes in human history primarily to judge and condemn. That's the day of the Lord. And Paul says, the day of the Lord should shape how we live our lives now. What is this day like? What is the day of the Lord going to be like? It's going to be a day of gloom. Joel 2, 1-2. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. The day of the Lord is a day of humiliation. Isaiah 2.12 For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. The day of the Lord is a day of the anger of the Lord. Zephaniah 2, 1-2 Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. My conviction is the American church does a very poor job of talking about the day of the Lord. My conviction is that when I have shared the gospel with non-believers, I often don't lead to this understanding that Jesus is coming back, and if we make it to that point, and you are not a believer, the anger of the Lord is still directed at you. We often share the good news of Jesus, and it is good news. And here's, this, is the, this is what the good news is. Good news, there's a life preserver for you. Good, there, here's the good news. God the Father sent Jesus the Son who willingly died on a cross and arose again declaring that He is who He says He is. And here's the good news. The wrath of God is coming and Jesus is coming back 
and it'll be a day of gloom and darkness and trembling and judgment and condemnation for everyone except those who by faith trust in Jesus. You've got a life preserver. That's the good news. You can put it on right now. That's the good news. That's the good news. Maybe we, we don't talk about that enough. The day of the Lord is a gloomy, angry, terrible, dark day, but it will break into a glorious day for those who are saved by grace through faith. But Christians, we must wake up because it will break through to a glorious day for Christians, but not at first. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25 that He's coming and He'll separate believers from, from non-believers. And I, I like to stop the story there and think that there's a, there's a bus or a rocket ship or a plane and say, okay, get, go, go on in and whoop, you're there. We will be judged. The faithful will be judged on that day on the quality of his or her life. So, you can see why Paul says, wake up! He's coming! Being, don't, don't be drunk! Don't go have sex with everybody! Don't be in church and quarrel and complain! Don't do those things! You can see why he would say that, because why? Jesus is coming, and we have to give an account for our life to Jesus. It's gonna, that day's going to break into glorious day for Christians. But my goodness, is that going to be a fun conversation to have? You got to check everything I say with the Word of God, okay? So let me give you let me give you some examples of why we believe this is true. Second Corinthians five ten, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Matthew sixteen, Jesus. For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Paul is setting us up by talking about this. He's, he, it's important. It's, the point is important for now. But he's also setting us up for two chapters later where he's going to talk to a church about their disunity and about their arguing and all those things. And there he says this, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Is that a message we need for today or what? Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to God for himself. One of the countless reasons you need to not judge your brother or sister in Christ, one of the countless reasons that you don't need to be worked up when things don't go your way in church is because it's all going to come out. If you're right, you'll be vindicated. If you're wrong, you're going to know about it. I don't got to worry about you now. It's coming. We're going to all know. It reminds me of one of the, I don't remember his name, one of the old evangelists, you know, fab really important figure 
important figure, I can't even remember his name, really important figure, but I remember the story about when he was buried, his tombstone said, such and such, Jordan Hodges, buried here, give his life, and then the quotation was, the kind of man he was will be known on the day. That's true of us. Here's one. Here's, here's the, the theme verse for Facebook. I tell you, says Jesus, on the day of judgment, people give an account for every careless word they speak. Matthew 12, 36. So, wake up. We can see why Paul would say that. Wake up. Part of it is his pastoral heart saying, hey, Rome, church in Rome, you're arguing and bickering and cussing each other out and gossiping about each other and slandering. There's a little bit of that pastor's heart that says, you need to wake up because I care about you because you're going to give an account to God for the way you're treating each other. So, wake up. Live like He's coming tomorrow. Live in the light of the day. Live in pursuit of holiness. These things are important. These things are important. And now, on that day, I'm going to stand before God. I don't know the details. I don't know if you're going to be there. I hope you're not going to be there. But you might. You probably, maybe you are. And He's going to look at me. He's going to say, okay, I want you to give an account of every day of your life things you said, the things you thought, the way you treated someone. You're going to give an account, Jordan, for the talents I've given you, for the gifts I've given you. You're going to give an account for your money. You're going to give an account for the way you've treated your wife. You're going to give an account for the way you've treated your children that I've given you. For me, gloomy day cloudy day, dark day. But as my sins are all laid out before me, maybe before you, I don't know, it is going to be a gloomy experience. But as all my sins are laid out, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is going to be standing next to me. And I'm going to be reminded of what Paul says a few chapters before this. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but only, only everlasting life. And just as quick as that, that gloomy day is going to turn brighter than the sun. And I tell you what that day is going to do. That day where all my sins are laid out, that day is going to be the day that I realize without a shadow of a doubt for eternity that there's no reason for me to have eternal life other than Jesus. There's no reason for it. He's going to tell me sins that I have no idea about. We're all going to look more horrible than we could ever possibly imagine. More sinful than we ever knew about. And yet we see the mercies of God for, for me. 
in that place that wipes away that sin. And he's going to look at me. He's going to say, it's never been about your works. It's about your faith. And because you trusted in Jesus, take your reward, my good and faithful servant. I'm going to say, good and faithful servant? It can't be me. And the mercies of God. The mercies of God are going to take on a whole new understanding and meaning. For the first time in my life, the mercies of God, I'm going to be able to see and I'm going to be able to taste it in a way that I've never thought about now. Those mysteries that we sung about are not going to be mysteries anymore. I'm going to see them to their full. And you know what that's going to do? We like to say, well, God, that'll be, that'll be a terrible, God loves me, that'll be a terrible experience. You know, it's not about me. When all my sins are laid out, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. That's going to make Jesus' mercy and his grace and his sacrifice look unbelievable. You're going to say, wow, Jesus saves a sinner like that. How merciful is he? How gracious is he? And after this gloomy judgment, there will be no question for all eternity why I'm basking in glory. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So, in view of the mercies of God and Jesus' imminent return, bringing the fulfillment of our salvation, bringing the day of the Lord, Paul says, live as if He's coming this moment. Let His second coming shape your life that you say, here's my life, Lord. I want to sacrifice that in any way that you want. Live your life that way. He says, put off your PJs and put on your armor. Let's read it together. Let's read verse 12 to the end. It goes like this. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Knowing His coming is imminent, knowing He's bringing, in, in one hand, He's bringing the fulfillment of our salvation, in the other hand, He's bringing the gloomy day of the Lord. Knowing this, take off your PJs. Put off the works of darkness. Take off your jammies. Put on your armor. The gospel is warfare. The gospel is warfare. We must beat our bodies into submission to fight as best we can for our neighbor and for the glory of God. The the battle, the, the gospel is battle is a battle. We need to be a church that is raising up a generation of missionaries that understand the gospel is a battle and it's worth fighting because Jesus is coming. The gospel is a battle. We love one another and love our enemy well. The gospel is a battle. Let us let us don't let us not speak the gospel in words and yet let our lives live as if it's no of no consequence. Fight the battle. 
Fight the battle. Know the Word. Obey the Word. Fight the battle. We don't fight the battle to be saved. We know we're saved. We have salvation. We know these things to be true. But don't go back to sleep. That's Paul's point. Be saved and then don't get back to bed and wait for everything to work out. No, fight! You're saved. Fight for your King. Walk as if He says you are in the day. Don't walk as if you are in the night. Walk as if you are already past the day of the Lord. Walk now as if you were are there. Don't live in darkness with orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality. Live with sexual purity. Live in sobriety. Live, in, live with faithfulness. And live an honorable lifestyle. Don't live, and is this a church thing or what? He's talking to a church, right? Don't live with quarreling and jealousy and disunity. That's the ways of darkness. That's not living like Jesus is coming. Rather, put on unity and kindness and Christian charity and forgiveness and live in such a way to allow space for others to disagree with you. Live in such a way that you don't walk into church with a critical spirit. And how do we make this possible? I can't do it. I can't do it. How do we make this possible? It says, put on Jesus. Put on Jesus. How do we work harder? How do we live, how do we live better? How do we, we, don't work, we don't wake up in the morning with a checklist and say, i got to do all these things to be righteous before God. Make sure that's not what we do. What do we do? How do we, how, do we, how do we do these? How do we live a holy life now? How do we work on our sins? How do we do that? We put on Jesus. We consistently embrace Jesus in such a way that His character will be manifested in all that we do and say. Put on Jesus. Walk with Him. Drive with Him. Love Him. Think about Him. Preach the Gospel of the good news of Jesus to yourself every day. Do these things. Talk about it with your kids around the dinner table. Talk about it with your spouse. Talk about it with your coworkers. Put on Jesus and you will start to live like Jesus. Preach the mercies of God to you every single minute. When you're suffering, preach the second coming to yourself every single minute and say, there's going to come a time and it's imminent where all this will be done for. I can persevere now because I'm in Jesus. Put on Jesus and remember that He will be the judge. Put on Jesus and remember that He is our sacrificial Lamb through whom there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but only everlasting joy. So I really think, I really think we can sum it up this way. I think Paul's goal for all of us, for that church 2,000 years ago and for this church now, is this. In view of God's mercy in the second coming, live your life this way. If you knew Jesus was coming in a week, your life wouldn't change at all. 
let the second coming of Jesus so shape your life now that when, if you get a telegram in the mail that you know for sure he's coming in a week, that nothing would change in your life. Why? Because you've been living like it ever since. If you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, live your life with your wife like nothing would change because you've been loving her and caring for her like, you, like the judge was coming tomorrow. Live your life with your neighbor who's not a Christian. Live your life sharing the Gospel with him in words and sharing the Gospel with him in, with brownies and share the Gospel with him and helping him move the ladder to the other side of the house. Live your life that way so that when you come home, you know Jesus is coming tomorrow. Look at your neighbor and go, I'm going to do what I've been doing. Love your kids. Train your kids up in righteousness in a way that when Jesus comes tomorrow, you go, all right, kids, let's do Bible time today. Because you've been doing it all along. May the mercies of God in the second coming make us a church full of living sacrifices. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. If you're like me, we've got a lot of work to do. If you're like me, you know that we have a lot of work to do for the rest of our lives. And so the, the, the difficulty in messages like this is to make sure we understand that this call to wake up is not about making God love you more. Do we understand that? Please nod your head if you understand that. God doesn't love you anymore if you wake up or when you sleep. Why? Because God loves you because you are in Jesus and He loves Jesus. God's love for you, God's acceptance for you is not tied in whether you stay in bed or wake up. It's not tied into the things that you do. God's love for you and God's acceptance for you is tied into God's love and acceptance for Jesus Christ. God will stop loving you the moment He stops loving Jesus. When will that happen? Never. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? That is what propels us to try to seek holiness. If we get that backwards, we blow it. So, church, let's offer our bodies a living sacrifice. If you're here today and you're not a believer, maybe you've been playing games, maybe you've come to church because you think it makes God love you more, maybe for the first time the Holy Spirit's opened your heart. Maybe the Holy Spirit's opened your eyes and you see, wow, I have not been a follower of Jesus. I've been pretending. Maybe today is the day that you come to God during this song and you say, God, I am lost. I need Jesus. We have a great God. He says, all who call upon His name will be saved. This church calls you, repent and believe the good news. And do it soon. His coming is imminent.